Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Sagium, where creating wealth is just the beginning. For many of us, planning our financial future can be an abstract and sometimes daunting task, especially when you don't have a framework to work with. The value of a well-thought-out plan can help create a financial roadmap for your future self. At Sagium, they took a hard look at the industry and did not like what they saw. Self-serving behavior by industry professionals, conflicts between what was best for the client versus what was best for the advisor, not taking the time to fully understand the needs of their clients and most importantly, their families, a true lack of collaboration across the entire sector where they were willing to provide diverse value-based advice to clients. Armed with 70 years of experience, Sagium set out to do it differently and provide a solution that truly made a difference in the lives of their clients. The Sagium advisors and wealth strategists focus on wealth, health, corporate, and health solutions that are inextricably linked to your personal vision, values, and goals. They take a holistic approach to work with you to answer the following questions. Will we be okay financially if we retire? How can I plan for medical uncertainty? Is my business on my own terms? And how do I protect and distribute my money from an estate perspective? While we all know that life is never a straight line, at Sagium, the team focuses on relevant, insightful, and consistent conversations to bridge the unexpected, to construct your personal wealth plan, and to support you every step of the way. Sagium is also a proud member of our community and donates 1% of their top-line revenue every year to the charitable sector. FYI, folks, I'm proud to share that I'm personally part of the Sagium family. I joined them about two years ago, and I sleep better at night knowing they're in my corner for me, for now, and for my family's future. To learn more about how Sagium can help you and your family, please visit them today at www.sagium.com. Hello and a warm collisions. YYC. Welcome to Mr. Rick Green. How are you doing, Rick? Very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're part of our partnership that we've uh, done here in kind of Feb, March, April with Sagium and Kinstead. So I want to dive right in and I never want to make any assumptions. Rick, tell us, what's a, what's a Sagium? <laughs> what's a Sagium? Well, it's a unique, uh, I, I don't want to call it a marketing experiment, but uh, the marketing experts- <laughs> No, you can call uh, it that. I like that. <laughs> the marketing experts uh, at the time in 2013 uh Came up with a way for us to rebrand that our, uh, we used to have our uh, corporate name attached to one of the founders. And okay. uh, w- because we want to kind of be in existence forever, uh, we don't want to have that uh, problem anymore. So in 2013, the marketing experts came up with a way to devise a new name that would never be attached to the name of an owner. Okay. So after an elaborate values-based exercise, they came up with Sagium, which is supposed to re- represent the wisdom of a sage within the sanctity of an atrium. Oh, so a specialized wisdom that can yeah. that can be called upon for sound advice, a critical yeah. mass of knowledge, and a confidential space. God, I'm a professional creeper, so it is yeah. right in the bottom of your LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm looking at it right in front of me. <laughs> Safety, secured, and peace of mind. So with yeah. all that said, you guys have been around for many, many years, like a 30-year-plus organization. What What is it that you do? Because now this feels like we're in a marketing. So what is the, what problem in the world do you guys solve? <laughs> well, I guess our biggest uh, problem we solve is bringing peace of mind to our clients where life intersects wealth. Okay. And then helping our clients enjoy their wealth on the things most important to them. That's, uh, oh, that's, that's a, our, boom. Mike, Mike, that's a mic drop. And I'm like, yes, I would like all, yes, sir. Uh, I would like to order a number <laughs> one and a number two. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take all those things. 
And you're not the only ones to do this, uh, you know, not to be a little bit cliche, of course, there's many organizations out there. And I guess love to get into like, what makes you guys a little bit unique? And, and I, I just recorded your audio intro. And what I loved was the four, you know, the four questions of, you know, will we, will we be okay financially if we retire? How can I plan for medical certainty? Is my business on my own terms? And how do I protect and distribute my protect and distribute my money from an estate perspective. And just to get, you know, why am I listening to this episode today? Let's dive into a little bit of like how you guys do that. Uh, I'd love to hear things that you see or run into of like misnomers or misbeliefs in the industry. Cause I think there's a lot of information out there and a lot of misinformation out there as well. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I guess the, I guess the biggest misnomer is uh, there's no one person out there that knows everything or is the best at everything. Uh, so that's kind of been our driving mission all along is to create a team of experts and collaborate with other professionals out in the community to be able to put a team around our clients to, to enable us to deliver on that promise, to create that peace of mind for clients. Uh, because it does, uh, take a true collaborative approach, which is rare, um, in our industry, as much as we all talk about it. And, uh, it requires a unique process and a really diverse skill set of, uh, talent. And is that one of the biggest challenges out there is there are, you know, the, the, the one-stop shop individuals, and I appreciate you guys have a team. We'll talk about yep. who kind of makes up that team. But is that also one of the, because the, I just find we live in a world where you need such a degree of specialization to do each individual bucket really well. Oh, like you sure. said, there's always somebody's going to be good at one thing and then bolt on a couple other things. And ultimately it's the customer, me as an individual investor and just person living my life who can unfortunately pays for that maybe 20 years from now. And I don't even, I didn't even see it coming. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And I guess that's the hard thing as far as, uh, being a customer, um, in this space is everyone is telling the same story, but delivering is a different, is it, is a totally different uh, story. And, uh, what we're lacking, I guess, in, in our industry, we have a, we have a great, there's talent everywhere. So there's individual specialists that are very talented at what they do. Uh, there's institutions that have very talented people in those institutions that get great results with their clients. Um, and there's some collaboration that goes amongst professionals in the community, but it's just rare to find, um, to find that on a consistent basis. So for a customer, I, I think, I guess it's all about finding someone you can trust to be that, what we like to call the trusted advisor, which again is getting overused now, maybe a little bit, uh, in the industry, but find that trusted advisor that has enough of a skill set and knows enough to be dangerous in all the different areas that they can pull together all these experts and collaborate on a level playing field with everyone for the sole interest of achieving what the client needs to get achieved. So kind of, and, and this is not designed to minimize it, or it's almost like you need that general contractor who knows a little yep. bit about all the things that need to get done, but they're not a plumber. They're not a you know high-end cabinet finishing, but they know what a good set of cabinets looks like and they know what proper plumbing and electrical looks like to kind of make this house kind of function as a unit afterwards. So no, that's yeah, right. That's maybe, a, that's maybe a weird analogy to pull in here. No, no, actually it's perfect. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. I like the general. So as a customer, how do I, how do I weed through, how do I weed through the noise? Cause you're right. There's like, and I'm a marketer at heart. So sometimes yeah. there's really great marketing messages that lead back to maybe not the best delivery. Sometimes there's great people out there that you, that's, that are hard to find because they're not putting their name out or getting it out into the marketplace. So as a customer, if I'm, I don't know, and this, as an individual on this journey, I've always felt like, ah, there's gotta be more or geez, I've got it. Ah, there's something I should know. I know there's always that sense of, geez, I should know more or somebody knows more than me about it. And I don't know, do, how do you, how do how would you recommend a customer to start even looking around with a good set of uh, filters to understand where to go and maybe where to shy away from? 
Yeah, I guess that's uh, that's the tricky part too. And I guess as a customer, I'm just trying to, as we're talking about this, trying to wear those shoes uh, and think about that. Um, the tough thing is, is there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of different places you can go. And it's to, I guess to understand who is out there to deliver and what the purpose of each different uh, mm. type of delivery system is there for. So if you look at the big institutions, we need them. We need these big institutions because they're the ones that, that um, can look after the masses, right? Okay. Um, and they're kind of designed to deal with all the people that might not get specialized attention uh, from, from uh, specialists. So the banks, as an example, they're there to deal with all the people on a retail level um, that might not be able to get extra attention okay. uh, from specialists. And we need them for that. Now, the banks start playing in the space where they say, okay, well, maybe we want to be specialists. And it becomes a competing narrative between um, a, a drive for wallet share and a return on shareholder equity hmm. as opposed to what's in the best interest of the clients. Um, so that's the one thing to be aware of in an institution. Um, so institutions are great. We need them, but we just have to be cautious because there is that profit motive that's the driving motive of an institution. Now everyone has to be profitable, so uh, otherwise we wouldn't be in business, but the shareholder return is the driving uh, motive well, in an institution. And, and let's be honest. We've all seen there's been some media over the last couple of years of you know coming to light uh, performance quotas, sales quotas on products. Yep. People, advisors, quote unquote, maybe not trusted or maybe worth the time, pushing their their clients into products or maybe signing them up for things they didn't even know about. Like they, I think yep. there was news a couple of years ago. There was a couple of big situations like that on earth. And unfortunately, all that does is really erode trust in the whole in the whole game for everybody. Yeah, oh, for sure. And that's that's the, the problem, right? So it, it's hard for a customer to figure out. So you have this institutional bias around profit and shareholder return. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have, uh, let's call it the salesperson bias. And we all have to be salespeople because uh, uncovering people's um, vision and goals and uh, figuring out the what and the why of what has to get done, it requires some sales ability to turn that into action uh, because without taking action, we're not helping the clients. If if we build this big fancy plan and they, they file it on the shelf, uh, it doesn't really help the client. So, so you need that sales uh, ability. But the one end of the spectrum is, is if, if it's too sales-centric, then you're going to have a problem where you have people pushing products that maybe they have one product to push that maybe isn't a fit for every every situation. Uh, so then you run into a problem with people ending up with things that they don't need or maybe things that aren't appropriate. And then in the middle space, you have a bunch of uh, what we call the in-between. So you have uh, uh, practitioners that uh, get together to share costs, work together from a cost sharing, but they're still kind of silo advisors in there, um, potentially uh, doing a great job for sure with their clients, but do they have the ability to do the right level of collaboration and um, delivery of expertise in order to uh, get the job done? And so it's very rare, and there are, a, there are a handful of firms across the country that have a team approach to it, right? So you have a, not only a great level of expertise in the firm uh, amongst a, a diverse group of advisors, customer service experts, and specialists in the firm, but also the ability to go out and work with the accountants and the lawyers that we need to work with because we don't understand that space, right? So as wealth advisors, well, we don't know what the lawyers know. We don't know what the accountants uh, know. So that's kind of the hard thing for a customer say, we have these big institutions that 
led us to believe they can do everything. We have these individual salespeople that get the most attention because they're great at sales. And then in between, there's a bunch of these firms that are all saying the same thing. And um, we just don't know uh, where do we go. So I think it's it's about kind of interviewing some of those um, different people and figuring out, okay, what is your gut tie? Where is there a place that you can trust that is going to deliver what you need to get delivered? And, and the then you pretty really much, well, yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go yeah, ahead. and then you pretty much have to kind of go with your gut and say, okay, well, let's uh, go with this. And hopefully mm-hmm. it works out, right? You know the analytical people on the room are cringing right now when you say go with your gut. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this, and they're like, the engineers are like, what do you, sorry, Rick, did you say go with my gut? What is this? There's this thing you're speaking of. I yeah. want to <laughs> see it mapped out. I want to see some data points. Yeah, oh, is sure. this also something, I'll listen to you talk, thinking about the industry and how it's evolved over the years where you take ultra high net worth individuals that I would say have had access to these types of services probably for a longer period of time where you've, yeah. got, your, your, you've got your team, your, your, the fam- your, you know, your, your family as the business approach. And that's very real for kind of high net worth is there also is and this is my own i'm curious i'm just thinking about this like so many things it becomes more democratized and all of a sudden more people get access to it is that also if like if you think about the evolution of this industry are we at a place now where you know i don't have to be the ultra high net worth or you know i know those are there's some definitions of what that means but i'm kind of more upper middle class or I've, yeah i have money but yeah no i don't have 200 million Am I getting access to these things now more than I would have 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Like, is, it, is the industry evolving to be a little bit more inclusive at different levels of wealth? Uh, funny enough, in Canada, the answer, I, I would say my opinion is no right now. Interesting. Okay. Um, no from some respects in terms of we see our institutions right now almost going backwards in uh, becoming more proprietary again and delivering their own products exclusively and not being open to uh, outside products. And again, that's the profit motive, right? That's the the security of delivery, the uh, control of wallet share. So that's disappointing in my respect, seeing the institutions, what I say, take a step backwards in, in uh, going proprietary again, because we were there 30, 40 years ago um, in that same situation. But you do have um, a collection. Again, it's a small collection of firms across the country that are saying, okay, you know what, we're going to, we're onto something. We have the expertise. We know what clients need. We know how to build it. So now we have to scale it so that we can bring it to more, to make it we viable. can bring it to a wider audience. So that there, that is happening. It's just the problem is, is such a small extent. Like I can only think of a handful of firms across the country that are in a position that are doing that. And what's happening in the, the way to do that is complicated, right? Because you have to, like you mentioned engineers and people that, um, are a little bit more analytical and technical and don't want to necessarily rely on their gut. So for that reason, you have to start, you have to introduce yourself as a fee-based service. So someone can say, okay, well, it's a fee-based service. It's going to be unbiased. And I can count on the, the analysis that comes out of this in order to make up my decision. Where do I want to lay my trust to get this Is done? Do I want to be hands-on or, or do I want to trust this group of people in order to take me down the path of action. Hmm. But I like the kind of positioning of like, well, there's a fee, but here's what I get for the fee. So I can understand yeah, that. This sure. this hidden, like, well, let's be honest, this industry is plagued with hidden fees and kind of back yeah. channel billings. And as a customer, you know, after years, I know having conversations like, what's this actually? Oh, no, it's all buried in there. It's not costing anything. I'm like, no, it's, someone, it's costing me something. Come on. I think the industry's done itself no favors by playing that game. And it feels like the public, well, we live in a world where transparency is not only required, it's demanded now. And I'm assuming that's playing, wreaking havoc on some of the way things have been done in, in the financial 
financial side. We'll get into we'll get into the the health and corporate and estate a little bit in a second. But I think yeah. the wealth side is something we can all touch on, and it feels like it's it's been quote unquote broken. But yeah. I love what you said about it's going, but we're going backwards thirty years. Yeah, that's really yeah. that's really interesting. That's not, and, that's and not the answer I thought you'd give. <laughs> yeah, and even and even with <laughs> uh, what you're talking about hidden fees. Uh, we'd like to think we're progressing, but we're constantly, I see the institutions using the regulatory uh, framework to say, okay, well, maybe how we report can change, but we do analysis so on our fee-based planning side. As an example, we do, we might not manage people's portfolios. We do the fee-based planning. So we see everybody's portfolios wherever they are. And um, a client, for example, might get a, um, their, their person at the institution to quote them a fee. Well, well what is the fee? Because that's a question everyone has. Well, what am I paying? What am I paying for my investment management? And they'll get a quote 1, 1% or 1.15 or 0.85, whatever the, whatever the number is. Well, in the financial plan, we pull it all apart and we do the analysis to figure out, well, what is the fee? And we've seen situations where that quoted 1.15 or 1% fee is actually, there's some accounts where there's a 5% fee. Um, if you add up all of the hidden costs, whether it's uh, uh, currency spreads, whether it's uh, cash spreads, whatever it is, um, there are costs that ha don't have to be disclosed by certain institutions for regulatory purposes. Um, so I guess finding finding that level of transparency with whoever you're dealing with is important. Um, and I've, I've also, I think our media, maybe you and I even chatted about this on, our, on, our, on a pre-call, we've done a really good job of kind of tricking us to look in the wrong place. We're looking at, you know, the quest trade ads that are just hitting fee, yeah. fee, fee all the time. Oh, but sure. really the question should be, well, what's my return after fees? Like ultimately, I think we've been teach we've been taught to ask the wrong question. Yeah. Because oh, if definitely. the fee is super low, but the return super low too, well then what's the <laughs> the yeah. net win is still less, right? Oh definitely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the only important thing at the end of the day. Uh, hmm. what are you ending up with in your pocket? And I guess, you know, thinking from a marketing perspective, I can control my lower fees Ultimately, I don't have control. I can't guarantee you a rate of return, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. That gets into a you know, forward-facing kind of danger zones. I'm like, That's oh, we guarantee we can get you 8%. Really? You can guarantee that? Well, well, wait a second. Backpedal, backpedal, yeah. backpedal. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting. Like we've all kind of set ourselves up and taught, uh, taught people who necessarily aren't comfortable, don't have education in this, to actually look at the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Don't look at the, hey, don't look over. Don't look behind the curtain. There might be somebody pulling some levers. So roll into, it's so easy for me and I got to be careful get caught in the trap think about wealth 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 but if you don't have your health you don't really have any wealth right or there's lots Definitely. of little sayings around that so say jim and you, you just said something interesting you guys look at like let's build a plan you could have your money somewhere else but we're going to put a plan together to really bring all those elements how critical is that for you and and does it get does it get missed more than it should maybe <laughs> it does get missed more than it should and it's critical for us and we kind of this um hit us hard about probably 15, 20 years ago, it hit me. I remember the day it happened, but uh, <laughs> there's, it's, it's that whole point of there's, there's only two different conversations people have, um, whether it's in their own mind with a, with a family member, with a spouse, with a friend, with their professional advisors, there's only two, two different conversations people have around money. One is the what and why. So what's my mission? What's my vision? What are my values and goals? What, is, what does this all mean to me? And the other conversation is the who and the how. It's the strategies, the tactics, and the tools. And what happens in, in our industry and kind of why I feel, again, this is my own personal opinion, why your industry has kind of let the public down over the years is we're pretty fast to jump to the who and the how. 
hmm. and the strategies and the tactics and the tools. And sometimes it's our fault as individual customers too, because we say, okay, we're talking with a buddy and, oh, they just, they just set up this, uh, this trust arrangement and, uh, or they just set up the shareholder agreement or, or they did this TFSA or they found this stock to invest in or whatever it is, even though we're not experts, we say, well, boy, this is unbelievable. So, so we go ahead and, and do the same thing. But we haven't taken the time to figure out, well, what is it I'm trying to accomplish and why do I want to accomplish that? Um, so I think that's why why we have to um, do a little bit of a deeper dive to figure out, well, what are people all about? What are they trying to accomplish? What makes them tick? And you bring up health. Uh, that's why we brought health into it because we noticed that uh, financial planning and the whole concept of uh, figuring out, well, how do I achieve my financial independence? Um, is there an opportunity for me to leave a family legacy behind or a social capital legacy behind? All those mm -hmm. questions that people are thinking about create create a disturbance, uh, in the, I would say, in the subconscious mind. Uh, and what I noticed this point I, I mentioned 15, 20 years ago, I saw uh, clients that we were working with on a, on a fee-based financial planning arrangement that were actually quite distraught about the process of retirement, even though they're wealthy, a wealthy couple. They're quite distraught about this whole process because they it's it's that um, that whole question of well are we going to be okay regardless of how much, and and that's where when I finally came to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter how much wealth somebody has they always have that question in the back of mind are we going to be okay so what so what we have to do is have to have a unique process that's going to answer that question but also make sure that we're looking after everyone's health so that was the first sign for us not the first sign but one of the signs for us that that mental health is very important to make sure we have a process that's going to bring people along properly in order to answer those questions so that they know they're going to be okay. That's why we always say peace of mind, even though it doesn't mean anything to people a lot of the times when they don't understand it. But that's why we always say peace of mind uh, around finances mm -hmm. uh, because then they can move on and do all that other um, goal setting and mission, family mission building and, and visioning that they want to do to accomplish what they want to accomplish in life. But first, we've got to prove they're going to be okay and eliminate all that noise they have, whether it's a debilitating noise or whether it's just a slight little bit of a, a <laughs> niggle in the back of their minds. Um, so I think that's a first step. And then the other thing that happened at a similar time, again, it was probably about 15, 20 years ago, we realized that a lot of our clients that were... Um, had built their wealth, and, and like a lot of business owners in Zen, we have a lot of business owner clients, they say, okay, well, they spend their lives building these businesses, and then they plan on um, selling this business or transitioning in this business and then do a bunch of traveling and everything as a family. And uh, what happens if people lose their health, they lose that certainty around being able to travel with confidence, knowing that they're going to have the right access to medical resources and everything. So that's where we really started to focus on health, helping our clients walk through, do you have all your access to healthcare looked after, right from the making sure they have good daily healthcare in the city, wherever, whether it's their GP or whatever medical clinic they're in, but mm -hmm. also making sure they have access to the uh, worldwide healthcare um, for whatever they might need. Uh, so that's kind of where we build healthcare into it for those couple of reasons. Uh, and do you find people in general, you know, different generations that you work with, is that, is that becoming more top of mind? Is that something that shifted, you know, say 15, 20 years ago when you start bringing out that level of conversation was, how was it received versus how is it received now? I'm always curious how cultural biases and cultural belief structures yep. change around things of, well, yeah, because if you don't have your, you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And, you know, but yet, yep. geez, I have to make as big a pile as I can and I'll worry about the health later, kind of like that mindset. Have you noticed, is that shifting or is there more of an appetite for a broader conversation 
uh, or is that just the way that you guys deliver it? That this is the conversation we need to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we sometimes we have to force that conversation because we know it's something they're going to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. it's it might be a new conversation for people, but it is more and more. So I've noticed that uh, it is more and more top of mind. Uh, to people the, that it is an important thing to think about even when we're young okay. and bulletproof it's something that, wow we need to maybe <laughs> yes. we need to maybe think about it and that's where our industry again leads us to a problem because everyone everyone on in the industry offers this travel protection or um, whether it's on your credit cards whether it's uh, on your airline or booked with your trip however it is or there's companies that offer travel insurance but again it's hard for the customer to figure out well there's a thousand different ways to get travel in, insurance and however you do it, feel secure. Right. But that's not necessarily the point. It's not always the same, um, or it's not always adequate based on what is your vision for your travel and, and how long are you going to be, be away and what different things are you mm-hmm. going to do. Um, so that's why we force some attention on it because we know at the end of the day, you want to do a proper job. Planning ahead, and it's hard as an individual. We're 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 all consumers, but we're not we're not always educated consumers on what we're buying, or and, you know, in the in the media or the information that's out there is always like whatever is being sold. That's the best version of it based on the person who's selling who's who's attempting or organization that's selling it to you. Yeah. Uh, so are, I'm assuming, and I don't want to. What typically? What is the range of your clients in terms of like? I'm always curious, like. If I'm 60, what I'm thinking about versus I'm 40 or 50 or 30 or 20, are, do you, are you seeing conversations with like, I'm, you know, you talk about where people are at in their 30s and are they able to save and can they buy the house? And are you guys having conversations with people all in kind of way up and down? And I'm using age more of a stage of life, not as age, because age is kind of yep. irrelevant to me. It's like, well, at this stage of my life, I'm looking more at these certain things that are important to me versus when I'm maybe in my 30s and I'm young family and buying a house. Maybe I don't see these pillars as important because I've got other things that are that are just higher on the priority list. So, you know, what's your guys' experience or in terms of, you know, how do you see a based on stage of life, I guess, not age. Age is a bad bad filter <laughs> yeah i guess and that, and that is the truth right it's uh, hard for a 30 year old to think uh, about the same things they might want to think about when they're 60 or when they're 50 yeah uh, so they are going to think differently and all we do is just uh, trying to again use that that blend of technical and um and people and sales skills to say okay well what's important to you now and just try and give them an eye on what what are some of the decisions they're going to have to be thinking about in the future and try and get a sense of when they're ready to think about those things, um, because the thirty-year-old isn't isn't interested in a granular uh, dollar and cent cash flow budget until they're ninety to make sure they're going to be okay in the retirement. Because as <laughs> you enough. mentioned, they're thinking about okay, how do I pay off the mortgage? How do I start saving more money? Um, but it's important to start thinking about those things as early as possible. So so you'd give it a rough projection. You wouldn't it wouldn't be too okay. granular, but you still want to give it a rough projection. Uh, just to say, okay, well, this looks like what you're kind of on the road to create, and here's the issues you're going to face. So, mm-hmm. in some of the decisions you're making today, let's just have an eye on on those future issues based on on whatever traje- trajectory you're on, so that we can make the right decisions now uh, that are tax effective, that are economical, that are going to have a positive impact on maybe a bunch of areas of your life, uh, rather than just making a decision in that isolated point in time. Never too early to make a plan is what I've is, is my is, sure, my, yeah. is my sound bite out of that, and it's so easy to not think about it because of this this and this and this are on fire in my life or whatever that means. Yeah, oh, for sure. 
How much does tax planning play a factor into it? Because you know, it's the, I've often heard it's not what you make, it's what you keep that matters. Yeah, oh, for so sure. I think that and fits right uh, into the old tax man. <laughs> oh yeah, no, definitely. Or, or a woman, I or a woman. Yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want to be gender specific. Here. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and it is it is big as as you and it comes to play. Uh, whether it's a political reason or whether it's a economical reason, uh, everyone's thinking about it. And um, we do know and everyone's, everyone does realize that basically death and taxes are the only two certainty, certainties in life. <laughs> Unfortunately, and, that, that joke's been around forever for, for yeah. a reason. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and we know that our government is going to get their pound of flesh sooner or later. And so tax is a huge driver. And yeah. um, the ability to... And that's where that's where it comes in. Is that as a thirty-year-old or forty-year-old, there's decisions you can make that you can put yourself in a great position to save tax later on in life, based on what your trajectory is. So that's why it's kind of important for us. About, although yeah. we we don't get as granular um, or granular um, with younger people, we kind of want to have an idea what their trajectory is. So we kind of know here's here's the tax burden you're going to face someday on your business, on your RSPs, on your uh, whatever it is, and and that's where finding the values and uh, vision people have as early as possible, we can start saying, okay, here's some planning strategies you can start building in that are going to help you for tax. Because at the end of the day, um, we're in a we have this the biggest uh, the baby boom now. We have the biggest wealth generating generation of all time right now in the in the baby boom. And and you've probably had guests on your show talking about this about this uh, great asset transfer that's the, tra- the transfer uh, that's of wealth yeah. right now whether it's a trillion dollars in Canada or whatever, whatever it's going to be, there's this massive transfer happening. And uh, hmm. the biggest fundamental of uh, financial planning is that if you know that you're going to leave money in your estate, why would you pay tax all of your life on that money and then leave it behind? Hmm. You can do, plan- there's planning strategies you can use, bring in char- charitable giving, life insurance, whatever it is, there's planning strategies you can bring in up front to improve the efficiency of your state. Uh, so that appeals to people uh, from a tax standpoint because people are people don't want to pay more tax than they have to. We all, no, we all have to pay the tax. Uni- that, to that's pay. a universal truth, yeah. Rick. I think we can all agree on. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. Um, so it is a driver for sure, uh, tax. But again, it, it has to relate back to what are the values of the person and what are they creating. Um, I think it's also inherently... Humans are inherently not often, depending on the mindset, this is a general statement, we're not great at thinking 30 years out, 20 years out, 10 years out. And compound interest is a real thing. And sometimes, you know, I had a conversation with financial plan the other day and he ran some numbers. He's like, well, this will be, this, this will be what you'll leave behind when you die. I'm like, well, I don't have any kids. What, who am I leaving it behind for? Wait a second. Whoa, yep. this is a whole different conversation. You know, when you get into the 90s and I'm like, well, no, I want to burn it all between now and then. He's like, oh, let's talk about it. Anyways, it was, it was an interesting dialogue. But all of a sudden, what I saw for my future and the number that showed up, I'm like, well, I, I don't, who am I going to leave that to? What does that mean? So it, it became a very interesting conversation when you ran the graph out long enough and far enough to get into a future of just accumulation and building of wealth over time. It's a, it's a good problem to have. But it hit me all of a sudden. I'm like, well, geez, I, I need to think about this this. What's yeah. going to happen there? <laughs> this, that oh, this for sure. Infamous ninety-some years old. Not just give it to the, to the yeah. government. <laughs> yeah. um, do you work a lot with more? Because I know it's wealth, health. You know, corporate and estate. Corporate being one. Uh, you talk about also tax planning. I'm a, just a. You know, I'm not just, but I'm a T Ford employee. Doesn't matter. I could be. Yep. Uh, 
versus I'm a business owner. Being a business owner as I am, it creates other variables. There's, there's other there's other conversations in the mix. I guess being a business owner, does that give you more options or opportunities versus someone who's got maybe a healthy salary, but it is, you know, you get your T4 once a year, it's pretty straightforward to do your taxes, but you maybe don't have as many other vehicles to look at how to manage things, or is it just different stories for different individuals? Yeah, it it does. Uh, the one of the when we talk about tax tools, uh, our toolbox is shrinking a little bit in Canada, uh, <laughs> but the business owner does have that extra set of tools that a non-business okay. owner doesn't have, right? Um, right. And as much as uh, our governments might be attacking uh, our business owners right now, and I'm a business owner, so I'm in the same boat. As much as we're getting attacked, um, right or wrong, uh, for being a business owner with that perceived the perceived notion that we have unfair advantages. Uh, the advantages aren't unfair. What the, what the advantage is, is that you have a different structure that you can use to defer tax. So it's not okay. avoiding tax, it's deferring yes, tax. It's so that's the big structure a business owner has is to say, okay, I can use a family trust to, to kind of control um, where my money's taxed and how it's taxed, but it's going to get taxed. Everyone's going to still pay tax, and and the corporation is another example of that. Well, I can have an operating company. I can have a hold code. There's certain things I can do inside each of those uh, bodies in order to delay tax, uh, or there's certain expenses as a business owner that I may be, might be able to, I might be able to start an employee benefits program for my staff and be able to deduct that as an expense, and that's a pretty efficient way to get some benefits to my staff um, mm. without them having tax. to take yeah. money out take their employee employment salary and, and use it to uh, pay for their medical costs. Um, so there are, and, and there's these passive tax rules that you can't just start accumulating an unlimited amount of wealth in your company and defer it forever. It's okay. taxed at a high rate while, while it's growing in your company. Okay. Basically, almost equivalent to the top marginal tax rate, personally. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so the, you, mean, you mean the government's figured out all those, lo those little loopholes? <laughs> yeah, the government's actually figured out a lot of loopholes, and uh, they've yeah. even figured out a, a way to double tax business owners uh, on death if they haven't got the right accounting and legal planning uh, in place to mm. deal with their, their business and their state after they die, so... They've got a pretty nifty uh, collection well, regime. It's e it's easy to overlook that the government, unfortunately, is one of your biggest stakeholders. Back, yeah. back to, they're, they're looking yeah. for their shareholder value. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> back to your story. Yeah, but so, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of great yeah. tools for business owners, especially even private businesses in Alberta. We have a lot of them. Uh, people that have operating companies, they build some wealth, and they end up eventually they might sell the operating business and turn this company into a holding company or an investment company. Well, there's a lot of great strategies that that they can they can make this company live on by bringing their kids into this company, and use it for philanthropy and use it for ongoing investment and uh, holding of sentimental assets or whatever it is. Um, hmm. So it is a great tool uh, that families can use for sure. Well, your point you need a plan and it needs to be structured. Yeah. I have a few friends that have exited recently and they kept their op they kept hold codes going and then now they've got trust set up and they're involved in community efforts and in charity and they're it's active but very different than when it was a going concern business for sure yeah mm -hmm. no definitely and that's the biggest again the biggest question for business owners is uh how am i going to exit that business on my own terms and um right and then be able to maintain that lifestyle and, and a little bit about estate planning you talked about this massive transference of wealth which again it's in the media all all, all, the, all the time and trillion dollars or whatever that whatever the number the number is Curious about that because that almost feels like you know, and I want to say this respectfully. We've all read the stories about the the statistics around people that win the lottery, and then X amount of yeah. years later, they're more broke than if they'd never won the lottery in the first yeah. place. I know that's maybe a bad comparison in this yeah. case, yeah. but there is also that risk of all of a sudden, 
you know, an individual being exposed to a level of wealth that they just, they, they don't have, how important is mindset around this to like be okay and be able to handle kind of this, these maybe larger numbers that, and I'm assuming these are families, but in Canada, we tend to not talk about money too. So there's lots of private thugs going on and all of a sudden, boom, you have this estate at your fingertips. That is something you are not, you didn't grow up or you didn't learn, you know, as a business owner, every year you grow as a business owner because you encounter new problems. If you just inherited a thousand person business and you only ran a small business, that would probably fail because <laughs> yeah, it'd be too sure. much for you where you're at. How much is that a factor for a state or do you see that as a bit of a risk factor? Yeah, it is a risk factor for sure. And uh, enough, I guess enough uh, things have hit the news, even in the Alberta marketplace that we realized that uh, over the years. And there, see, there is a reluctance and, and it's, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but there is a reluctance uh, in Canada, especially um, to talk about money uh, and to talk about money with our next generation. Um, so, and because of that, things like just what you mentioned happens, uh, it does happen. Uh, wealth gets inherited and it's a surprise one way or another. It's a surprise. It's, it's more than they thought or less than they thought, but it's a surprise. And because a conversation hasn't happened before that point in time, the effectiveness of that wealth transfer is, is, uh, unfortunately minimized. Uh, quite a lot. So, so a good planning process, what you have to do is you have to get families talking about it as early as possible. So as soon as mom and dad build a plan, we have to start that conversation. Okay. How are you going to bring the kids into this discussion? You don't have to talk exactly about the dollars and cents, but how do you bring the kids into this conversation and let's get a conversation going as early as you can possibly get that going. Even when kids are still at home, right? Even if they're under 18 years old, let's get that conversation going and get and talk about, they don't have to know how much wealth they're getting necessarily, but they might be getting some wealth. So let's have a conversation around why are they getting that wealth? What are the values that we as mom and dad, what are the values we got from our parents that helped us save a little bit more, invest uh, To kind of be, be, or, in, be in that position now, because yeah, you didn't yeah, get there yeah, by what, accident. Yeah, what helped us get there so that we can, we can start having that values-based conversation with our kids so that they understand why, why there's wealth coming. And they can start formulating their own plans around, well, that's interesting. They might learn some things about their grandparents or great-grandparents that they never knew and about their parents that they never knew, which puts a different context around the wealth that they are going to inherit one day. And um, I think that's the our mission is to get that conversation going as early as we can because otherwise you have that great divide. You have this, uh, I've mentioned it before, the baby boomer, uh, the greatest uh, uh, wealth generating um, generation of all time, passing this wealth on to what we call the entitled generation. Um, those are two, I like to say, inaccurate statements because uh, not every baby, baby boomer is passing, passing a bunch of wealth and not every uh, young person is an entitled individual. Thanks for um, clarifying because I was like, whoo, those are problematic statements, right? Those you, are, those are. You, 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 you floated them for a reason and you got, yeah. you grabbed them back yeah. in right away. I was it's like, kind of a, so kind of my entitled, Rick, what do you mean? No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and that's, what, that's what we want to get that conversation going because yeah. otherwise there's this, just like we always talk about the great divide going on in politics and everything right now, right? All around the world. But mm-hmm. uh, there's this great divide between the, the generations around wealth because the perception is, and we all grew up, grew up with different paradigms around wealth. There's this perception that wealth, yeah. if someone's wealthy, one of the perceptions that people are potentially carrying around is that, well, that person must have done something wrong yeah. or they must have taken yeah. taken uh, advantage of other people in order to build that wealth. Uh, so without those values conversations, well, we don't, we can assume that, but we don't realize how they actually happen. It wasn't, maybe it was just a lot of sweat and hard work and some smart decision-making and mm-hmm. some failures along the way 
that made that wealth happen. So unless we have that conversation early in life, we have this next generation coming and inheriting this wealth. And like you say, it's not going to be that effective because there's still that perceived great divide. Whereas I think, again, I don't, I don't like using the word entitlement and, uh, and uh, wealth creators. Uh, but the reason I use those terms is because the values of those two groups are a lot closer than we realize. Okay, interesting. And in my opinion, and yeah. until we uncover that, we're still, we still have this great difference of opinion saying, well, what did they do? How did they abuse other people in order to create that wealth? Uh, or the people who created the wealth, well, how are these, how is this next generation going to find a way to blow that wealth um, yeah. on things that might not be important? Um, well, there's lots of saying like penny to popper in three generations of someone yeah, who oh, builds a sure. company, runs a company, loses the company because they yeah. didn't have the values that the first group had, which is what it actually took. I like your tie back to values and how it's so important. And, you know, nothing will, nothing will create a divide like a values misalignment. <laughs> but yeah, you're not oh, having sure. the conversations. You'll never, you just assume what they mean or what, or I, I like that. It's so interesting where we picked up that, well, you must have done something to, you must have done something to get earn that. You must have took advantage of somebody. And I don't know if that's a Canadian paradigm. And certainly that's the only set of filters I have because obviously living yep. in Canada my whole life and, and the prevalence of not wanting to, even my grandparents passed away and my dad being surprised at how much money they did have. Yeah. Cause like, well, we never knew cause we never talked about it. I'm like, well, how much yep. of a missed opportunity that is. And I'll be on, I'll try to float the conversation with my parents every once in a while. And, my mom will talk about it, but my dad will oh, it was just we'll just change the subject. Like it's got this taboo, which I think is really just not doing any of us any favors. <laughs> no, oh, for sure. And and the, and the earlier point you made about this, um, we talked about the corporation being a uh, a stra effective strategy to delay mm -hmm. tax, uh, not to avoid tax. And that's one of those uh, paradigms that people have too, because we see the American media all the time, and and the Americans have a lot of loopholes in their system. Uh, okay. They probably have the thickest tax act in the in the world, um, but in Canada, so we get these comments from people seeing American media, assuming that our yeah. Canadian tax system is unfair. All these wealthy people get all the breaks, whereas I tend to remind people all the time. Just think of any CEO um, that's earning a big paycheck. Well, we know that 48 to 50% of that money is going to the government to help distribute, uh, redistribute in order to uh, look after everybody. Yeah, to uh, elevate there's the, no quality of, the quality of life we do have in our country. Yeah, <laughs> there's no loopholes. Well, if the $6,000 tax-free savings account is a loophole, well, it's pretty much accessible <laughs> to everybody. Yes, it is. Uh, the $20,000 RRSP, well, that's accessible to everybody. Yeah. Uh, but... In Canada, we pay our fair share of taxes. Uh, so mm -hmm. let's let's just eliminate that paradigm and get back to a values-based conversation. Uh, I really appreciate it because we 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 feed on American-based media, and it's a different. And I really appreciate that story because I've been in a lot of executive groups, and when I was younger, it's like, oh, what what are you doing? What's the secret? They're like, well, if you're do if you're paying taxes because you're making money, so just celebrate that. And yeah. I, and I got you know I got more of that answer a lot more than I was like, what's the secret formula? Like, there's not a secret formula unless you're doing something shady, which we're not yeah. we're not doing that. You're you're going to pay tax. So just you know, yep. just oh, just sure. be okay with the reality and look at it as a checkbox that you're actually doing okay because you are paying tax. That's a good indicator that you're making some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which I think there's always, well, we all want the magic bullet, right, Rick? I don't care if it's wealth yeah. or diet or whatever it is. is it, come on, come on, Rick. Are you gonna really tell me the secret before we get off this podcast or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The magic bullet: start saving early. Yeah, <laughs> compound interest. Come up interest with a plan is, and start saving early. Yeah. <laughs> like you mentioned, compound interest. Yeah. Yes, I know. I, I worked in the fitness and health industry for years. People are like, well, what's the secret? I was like, well, eat a little bit less than you need. Yep. Um, exercise a bit more. Uh, get yep. good night's sleep. Drink some water. And um, 
I'm like, do you know, do you know which is better for you, an apple or a bag of chips? So like an apple. I'm like, well, you kind of, you kind of know what you need to know to be healthy. That's about, and they get mad because that's not what they wanted. But I was, I'd have some fun. I'm, I'm just like your conversation. Get a plan, start saving, come back to see me, and we'll work it, and we'll work, and we'll touch base on every couple years to make keep you from losing track. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. And that's the whole area. Like if you zero in on investments, it's well, let's let's try and remove that emotional. Yeah. tied to investments too, right? Just the same as you mentioned about uh, diet and exercise to uh, <laughs> achieve your proper weight. Well, it's the same thing with investing. Um, that's trying to move that, remove that emotional bias. And that's what professionals in that industry do yeah. is re- let's figure out what your plan is and manage your money appropriately to achieve that plan. And let's get out of making emotional decisions because uh, what we see going in, on in the markets every day is everyone making emotional decisions. They're, they're, they're uh, buying too soon, selling too late, whatever it is, it's human nature, right? Because we're letting emotion get in the way. I think uh, you're, you're, one of your, your, your partner company, your sister company, Kinstead, I had Brent Smith on and he said, the 50% of people will underperform, no, what is it? No, uh, the majority of self-directed investors will underpour, underperform the S&P by 50%. Yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't like, oh, you missed it by a couple. Because you'll you'll sell at the bottom and you'll buy at the top. Like, And he goes, statistically, more than you would ever think. And it was a powerful statistic. Like a 50% underperformance wasn't wasn't five or 10, to be clear, just to iterate that again. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. And that emotion, you know, emotion is the bully. And uh, you know, I had someone years ago and it, managing, uh, successful and managing family wealth and his, 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 his grand the father had built a business and sold it kind of he was the third generation and he was managing the family wealth i said oh stock market he's like i don't even look i don't look at the stock market i check it like once a week he goes i have fundamentals i know what i focus on because watching the stock market every day that's a fool's errand and i'm like good advice stanley i've i've kind of kept that in the back of my mind of kind of what that <laughs> meant to me for years yeah. don't get yourself on the roller coaster because you will drive yourself absolutely mad <laughs> yeah. unless that's what you do for a living and you're you oh, know got your sure. six screens and you're doing your whole thing but yeah. most guys i know that did that for a while so got out of that as well as oh, a bad sure. as, as a bad um, yeah. bad affliction for their health <laughs> yeah i know that's why we're not all day traders uh, sitting at our desk at home Ooh, no, no, it's uh, yeah. My, they might make it look sexy in the odd in the odd Hollywood depiction, but I think in reality, it's not not quite how how it plays out. No. <laughs> but I heard you loud and clear. Build build a plan and stick with it, and understand what what matters to you, and re and re look at that plan, and 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 the, the sooner. And yes, there is some complexity to it, but there's some fundamentals, like so many things in life. Come back to the basic of having a plan, executing it with people you trust. And getting your emotions in kind of your own little bit of what can be a roller coaster if you if you watch the markets too closely out of the picture. And then think about your health from a long-term perspective of yes, yes, you might be bulletproof now, as we all like to think we are, but tomorrow is a, is unfortunately or not an unpredictable uh, occurrence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Rick, what's, uh, I don't seem silly to ask, but obviously people can reach out uh, go to your go to your website. What's the what's what's the path for somebody who wants to to lean in? Is it just kind of call you guys and have a conversation, get out there and do some research? What's your recommend? Yeah, that's probably the best thing is uh, just reach out and uh, we can we can give you an idea what what our process and uh, and results look like, and and then it's a matter of just doing um, everyone to do their homework and figure out who is it that I feel I can trust to take me through this journey. And then get the journey started as quick as possible and not get bogged down by all the minutia of, okay, well, how am I going to figure out the perfect person or the perfect firm? You're never going to know until you get started and get rolling. Yeah, the, tr- the, right, the, tr- the trust right. factor is real. It's just hard because it is such an intangible. Like it's tangible when you have it, but it's it, it's hard to it's hard to plot it on a, on, a, on a graph and run some numbers against it. But you're right; you have to have some conversations and and it is like back to the fitness analogy. It is about fit. You need to find someone that is a fit with you that you can work yeah, with definitely. over a long period of time, not a one and done kind of approach. Yeah, and in a meeting, we find often right we're not right fit for everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, 
vice versa, whether it's customer or firm, you know, if you have a meeting or two with, with a firm or a group of people, you know, by the end of that meeting or two, whether it's a fit or not. Um, yeah. The old adage, we, we, our, our gut's telling us information all the time. We just, we just sometimes need to take a moment and listen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Rick, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate just having a conversation about, you know, uh, fundamentally we just got back to the basics at the end, but just understanding why as a consumer, it's confusing out there. It's, it's super noisy. Everyone's trying to sell you something. Everyone's got the, ma- got the magic answer. The health and fitness analogy is not that far off when oh. it comes to the, the magic pill of, of wealth and health building. But uh, I appreciate the approach you guys take and uh, really enjoyed our conversation. So Sage, Sage, gym.com check it out and also rick i know you're i know you're on linkedin if someone uh, wants to chat with you i'm assuming they can they can hit you up there as well yeah definitely yeah thanks Tom. excellent my pleasure rick thanks for your time yeah take care